This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Greetings. Uh, good everything, Nubians and others. Hi. Everything, everyone, everywhere, globally. Yes, and good morning to you, Dr. Carr. What a I'm week. Happy to see you. Wait, something happened this week? Oh, well, yeah, the new year. Oh, yeah, happy Orthodox New Year. I saw Putin uh, told the Russians to stop shooting, right? Yeah, well, they yeah, took a ceasefire. I, I never understood how, you know, okay, we have morality, but we want to blow up a whole bunch of people. But let's wait for Jesus. <laughs> See, oh, yeah, right. Let's hold on, because yeah, Jesus got to be born. Okay, is he here? Okay, start killing again. <laughs> We're going to send people to meet him. Heart, the herald angels sing. Yeah, well, you know. this, this thing called life kind of a, a, a exploration into hypocrisy or, like, a contradiction or, like, it's it just seems to be very weird. Uh what we're in right now. Yesterday, of course, anniversary of uh, the insurrection that I'm still baffled by. Like, as I sat and watched it two years ago, like, oh, so y'all just gonna let this happen? Oh, okay. All right. And the person that started, he's still walking free? Okay. All still right. So, so we could do that. No, we can't. We, can, we can't do that. We. Well, it would be different if we did that, right? It would be different, right? In, in the bar spit by the... Uh... Congressman from Brooklyn uh, passed midnight last night. As he said, we can't do Miralago. I think he was in the M's by the time he got to Miralago. Did you see Hakeem's speech? Uh, no, our, no. Yeah. I was I was uh, watching counting sheep at midnight. So please, oh, yeah. please inform. Nothing but alliteration. You had to you had to pull it up. He got he, he, he Jeffries through the whole alphabet at the end. He <laughs> from A to Z and just weird is not that weird is not that weird. Is. But you know how he be with them hands, you know. <laughs> uh, leader minority leader Jeffries, all kind of alliteration. Uh, but yeah, he mentioned Miralago, so we we can't do the Miralago. Uh, he was he talked longer than uh than Kev Kev, the uh the, the smallest speaker of the house in the history of government, world government in the last five hundred years. Kev, look, Kev, you say Kev, Kev. Look, Kev, Kev. I mean, he doesn't have. A, he's not. He's not a public speaker, huh? That's my first time really hearing him try to give a speech. Well, you you know, he's not a public speaker. He's not a very good negotiator. People don't like him. He's not very well liked, and he has no sense of self, or and he can't read the room. Like he's got all of the flaws, so he's perfect for the position, I guess. Uh, he's definitely uh, perfect. Yes. Yeah. So, like, like, squeaky. Like, I might cry a couple of times. Well, at least he didn't almost get his ass whipped. I was like, "Oh my goodness, Matt Gates almost got gathered up there in that in that in that corridor." Did you see? That? No. Oh, you didn't see that? Oh yeah, no. my friend had this photographer boy came up on him and he the boy behind him he grabbed him and pulled him back by the face. It's like, "Oh man, Gates got to get gathered up in here." And by the end, of course, when they all got sworn in, here's the picture: you got uh, Bobo, little Bobo, who might have been strapped because they took the metal detectors down the first thing. She's on one side with her hand up. Then Gates on in the middle with his hand up. And who is sitting next to uh, Gates? Who on to the right of Gates? George Santos, if that is his name. I'm like, cause if you remember Santos started playing with his phone on Tuesday. Nobody talking to him. Had a little kid sitting a seat uh, over between them, and he ain't looking over there. By the time yesterday rolled around, he over there back slapping, rubbing up against the you know the Klan caucus. George Santos is in, baby. And he was he took the oath right next to Matt Gates. <laughs> so you know, you know, because there was no Congress, uh, no House of Representatives, that the cameras can do whatever they want now. Because there's no rules. So we get to see people's dogs, their children, people picking their nose, AOC talking, chatting with people. Like they get to pan in on things we could never see before because there were rules. 
It's there no, no rules now. We are literally in the wild, wild west. Where they were, and I'm sure they're going to shut that down quickly. Shout out to, to the C-SPAN crew because they took full advantage of that, didn't they? We saw a little bit of everything. I'm saying, what is Paul Gosser saying to uh, Ocasio-Cortez, except I'm sorry for making a video where I killed you? <laughs> I got to get that sister credit because she, she kept her cool the whole time. Gates was back there trying to float a fake rumor that, that they was going to compromise, and she kept saying, uh-uh. That's not that's not what you said. That's not what you said. He he, he tried to turn his back to the camera. But them C-SPAN cameras was, I imagine they'll go back to the fixed camera now, right? Well, they have. I mean, they're rules now. Uh, well, they, they, don't have, they don't have any rules yet. Remember that they they adjourned last night before they they voted on the rules because we don't know if McCarthy can get the rules passed. He, he may have had a Pyrrhic victory last night because the first thing they got to do is set the rules. And of course, he gave the whole store away. And if he tries to back up, there's been some reporting that the quote unquote moderate Republicans, which is an oxymoron, but uh, I guess the ones that are scared of the MAGA rocket they rode to fame over the last couple of years, last six years, they are threatening or at least floating that they may vote with some of the, with the Democrats to block some of the concessions. Which would only reinforce what Gates and and Bobo and them were saying, which is this guy's a liar. Can't trust him. So we're gonna see. But of course, one of the rules is it only take one person to say I want this guy out, which is a beautiful thing. So they, they so so you negotiated yourself out. I'm just you know again as somebody that could care less about you know fame or power or whatever. Like I want my own power for myself. I just want you leave me alone. I want to be able to do what I want to do. I ain't trying to control you. But he wanted this position so badly that he gave away any semblance of power that the position actually holds so that he could be the speaker of the house. Is it, is, I'm just trying to understand because he was going to be speaker of the house before, but he got caught up in a, in a, a cheating scandal, a sex scandal. With another, yeah. <laughs> caught up and he couldn't be. It. So, so now he's like, by any means necessary, I will be speaker of the house. Even if it means I am not speaker of the house. How about that? Yeah, the boy said, what he said? Oh, last night in his speech, the last thing he said was one thing that uh, I have shown that I don't give up. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm 57 years old. I'm in, the, I, I'm in that generation that was the shock troops of integration. So we were the first major group to get bust. You know, my older cousins were the ones that got spit on and yelled at in Nashville. And then we got on the buses in 1970 and 71. And so as he was talking last night, I had flashbacks to them. Some of them little white kids who went to school with, you know, the ones with the little sweater vests and they got to talk like this. And I've seen this guy before. I don't give up. I'm like, dude, you so weak that it's an embarrassment. Right? <laughs> Come on, Cam. But you're full on racist now. He, there, there are no policy differences between him and these guys. They just didn't like him. And the longer he talked, the more you can see why. Right. Oh, he was hot though. You know, he said this smile. Her. But last night around eleven, when they when they swore back in at ten, I gave up. I gave up. I will give up and go to get me some sleep and drink my water. Well, I watched my fam. Y'all, <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> y'all was y'all laid it out pretty cleanly the other day. But I tell you, the fun started last night about ten o'clock because on the fourteenth vote they crossed him because they, they, he thought he had the deal. But then Gates Gates uh, abstained. Now he he voted present. And so then they go over, they walk over there. He, you know, McCarthy in his face. He, you know, Gates is a snot frat boy type. You know, we'll say less because he, he of all the people who could be indicted for insurrection and, and, and 
he gonna get indicted for little girl loving. But anyway, that's a whole nother conversation because he already little girl. Yeah, little girl. Well, I mean, you, okay, you, all right, just you know what I'm saying? Sure. I mean, he, uh, allegedly, yeah. <laughs> the one with the son that is a, a full adult. Is what? that him? Uh, the one with the son that's a, a whole. Oh, does he have an adult child? Hold on, let's check. The Nubians will know. I mean, the four somebody, Nubians. one of them got a child that is thirty. I know his. I know his. Uh, well, no, no, no. no. Gates, no Was it Gates? Is one of them? It might Florida. be. Is Gates from Florida. He is from Florida. It could okay, be him. He does have a son. Oh, anyway, it's irrelevant because that's that's messy. No, 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 no. All of this, I think, all of it, all of it, character. So, I don't know what's in the water in Florida. Got a lot of friends from Florida, and I'm so sorry to all of our friends and family who uh, attended or alumni or supporters of the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University because uh, one of your alums, Byron Donalds, showed his whole natural behind. <laughs> hey, are you telling me that bro went to a HBCU? I mean, but that's the beautiful thing about black people. I mean, that's the whole thing. We we've we've been talking about that. There is no we. I mean, people mistake demography for, that's why in the governance category in our Africana Studies framework, governance doesn't mean that we all agree. It just means that we, who are we to each other? And we've always had outliers. People are beating up Byron Donalds. I said, don't beat him up. I mean, you know, I wouldn't beat him up the same way I wouldn't beat up, uh, what's, what's uh, uh, young Tim in South Carolina, Scott. I mean, you know, these guys come from the, my parents whipped me as a child from the switch, from the green switch school. In other words, tough love type. Clarence Thomas in that same thing out of Pinpoint, Georgia and Savannah and all that. My granddaddy did this. I'm my grandfather's son. So you, you get that mentality. The question becomes, though, when are you going to be used as a pawn? So, oh, I see. Oh, that's right. Look, the Nubians got it. That's right. Hector. I forgot about Hector. He adopted him or something or adopt. Oh. Yeah, I that's just, why I was. I'm confused by all this. No, 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 no. I just stepped through the rotten floorboard of that story because oh, it's come right. back to me now. <laughs> the rotten floorboard. You know what's wild? You're watching these. You know every. You know every round of this, and we went into history after we passed nine, right? People get up and they nominate and they give these nominating speeches, right? And the Democrats get up and it's usually like one or two sentences, and it's Hakeem Jeffries, but. The eloquence of the Democrats, the, the intelligence of the Democrats versus uh, the evoking of Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King and the illiterate way in which people are. I'm like, the, there's some really back minded people that were elected to Congress because folk didn't get out to vote because a lot of them are there with like a couple of thousand votes. Oh, yeah. Not Absolutely. like millions. This is the House of Representatives. We're talking a couple of thousand votes. Somebody is determining your laws. That's right. Who can't form two cogent sentences. That's right. That's exactly right. And it and it's funny because, yes, first of all, yes. In fact, there was a story in today's Times about Harris County, uh, you know, where my sister and brother-in-law and niece and nephew are. Yeah, here it is. Republicans dispute vote results in Houston. They've captured many of the state houses i think they have 27 of the state houses and at the federal level once they were able to put donald trump in in 2016 through the use of the electoral college they then stocked the judiciary uh, with the stolen seats that they had stolen from uh the previous administration the Obama administration of course uh justice mcconnell gorsuch and then Justice Beer, and then five minutes before the election, 
the handmaid, Amy Comey Barrett, they with those seats, they have kind of now choke off, choked off the highest level of the federal judiciary, the, the Article Three courts. And what we see now is that we're seeing that replicated on the state house level. They had a setback this week in South Carolina, where the South Carolina Supreme Court uh, ruled that the South Carolina Constitution does indeed preserve a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy beyond six weeks. So that was a setback. But in Texas, um, I'm looking at Alexandra de Moral Mailer is contesting her loss in Houston. She ran uh, for county executive in Harris County, which is, of course includes Houston. She lost by 18,000 votes, but she's going to court to challenge the election. And uh, in fact, the, the article starts today, John Rosenthal had seen close races, but his election to the Texas State House in November in a Houston district redrawn to be a near lock for Democrats, gerrymandering working both ways. Well, not equally, but, um, and the reason they want to pay, they call it packing and cracking, right? That's what they did in Alabama. That's what the Supreme Court case where there should be two majority black districts, congressional districts in Alabama. What you do is try to pack as many Negroes as you can in one in black belt districts and then crack up the rest of them and distribute them around the other congressional districts so you can avoid having two. And the Supreme Court is, we're okay with that. That's a political question. It's not justiceable. That was the Wisconsin case, the I think it was Whitcomb, Gil versus Whitcomb a couple of years ago. Anyway, so, so, just because a district is uh, looks like it's a safe Democratic district, that's probably because the legislature, if it's a white nationalist legislature, they've packed that district so that they don't have to worry about being competitive in several other districts where they might be competitive. So at any rate, Rosenthal won that district by 15 points. And so David Goodman writing in the New York Times today says, so it came in as a surprise when his Republican challenger in the race contested the results, petitioning the state legislature to order a new election. So you see what's happening now. As you say, Professor Hunter, it's one thing when we don't go out and vote or we don't vote in, in large enough numbers. And then that combined with voter suppression tactics becomes something that creates the type of mess that we have now in the federal legislature in the United States. It's quite another when now, even when you have a convincing victory, 15 points in one case, uh, 18,000 votes in the, 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 the county executive case, they're going to court now and they're going to the legislature. Anybody want to bet against new elections being called by white nationalist legislatures in the South? In other words, these folks have pulled out all the stops and I for one, oh, I'm here for it. I love it so much. You got to understand my enthusiasm. We've been here before. Shout out to commercial mass news entertainment media for completely missing the story this week, including all the black commentators. I kept waiting for one of our, well, I didn't watch it. I can't watch a whole lot of commercial. I watched more commercial news entertainment media in the last three days than I have in the last three years uh, because I was trying to see. And by the way, shout out to Andrew Mitchell and Chuck Todd on MSNBC. You talk about a laugh and then a second. Watching those two try to spin something is just like, I mean, oh my God, this is, you know, I should be paying y'all for this, but I guess I do pay cable bills, so I guess I am paying y'all. Anyway, I was waiting on somebody to get the story, but I don't want to get too far ahead over our skis with this. Um, any other things stick out to you since Tuesday, uh, Professor Hunter, in terms of what you saw? No, I'm, I'm waiting for you to tell the story, and I want to admit uh, that while I was on the radio covering this, yeah. Um, I knew that it was theater, right? I knew that he, you know, it was absolute theater. So my whole thing is like, what do we do now? You know, you have Lauren Boebert 
uh, who is by all you know accounts an idiot, who won by 600 votes and it's questionable, wields mm-hmm. so much power that you know we are literally in an apartheid system. Uh, our our next two years are going to be really bumpy in terms of getting anything pushed through, any legislation. You heard the speeches about what they're targeting and what they're, you know, going to stop the Democrats from doing. And they want to probably impeach. You know, when that Donald Trump vote came through, I was like, oh, that's the plan, really, is to, you know, Kevin Kevin McCarthy talked about Donald Trump, too, right? Like how he helped him the last hour and made, you know, and it's like they wanted him to be Speaker of the House. And people like, how is that possible? Well, it was possible. Yeah. It was possible. And then that would have made him third in line for the White House and they would have impeached. Biden and Harris, and then that was their plan, right? So you think about the the machinations that go into people seizing control over the rest of us. And then I ask, you know, what control do we have over ourselves? So that's where my focus has been. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm gonna stay there because this chaos is gonna continue. It's chaos, it's not building. They're not capable of building, which is what they showed in this thing too. It wasn't about creating or building anything. It was about destruction. It was about stopping. It was about wielding wielding their power and getting more power. And it had nothing to do with the people because government shut down for four days because 20 domestic terrorists decided that they wanted to have more power. And, and I don't know what Kevin McCarthy gave to each of them, but he gave them something. And I want to know what they got, you know, because that's going to impact us too. I'm not going to focus too much on it, but what? tell us what... what didn't get told by the people who were paid to tell us things. Well, or, or paid to, to get ad revenue, I suppose. Oh, and paid to misinform, right? To misinform. And paid to keep the fear going and paid to keep oh, it out. Yes, yes. Like it was WWF wrestling. I do think, though, it's, it's worth... It, there are a lot of teachable moments. We're teachers, so we know. We know what our students... Everything is a text. And one of the reasons why I watched so much of it was it was really fascinating. There are a lot of lessons there. One... One lesson, I think, is the limits of diversity and demography as a proxy for power in politics. What do you mean? Well, this is the first people. There are people who might celebrate this is the first time in American history where two black people ran for Speaker of the House. Okay, (laughs) you see the limits of diversity? You got a fool versus, (laughs) and and it's two black men. That's why you quote Martin Luther King. And then what killed me was so funny. They had the Latino cat get up and tell the whole story about, you know, my daddy came here, he drive, drove a bus, and then and I'm here, had his had his little girls there behind him, whole family behind him. He puts McCarthy's name into nomination. And then the Latino guy, the third in, in charge of the Democrat, on the Democrat side, gets up, thanks to God for telling this story, and everybody claps, including his children, because they don't know that they ain't supposed to clap. Yeah, y'all are all Latinos. <laughs> but I mean, this is all the... And then, of course, Lauren Bober gets up, a woman, white woman, and nominates the black man. Now, this is a very important... Let's, let's freeze, pause. Do you see the importance of the limits of diversity here? People say, well, we got black people in representation. <laughs> no, what are your politics? For many years in Philadelphia, Bob Brady, the United States Congressman, white man, Represented a majority black district and living in Philly for many years, people say, well, you know, how does this white man keep coming back into the federal legislature from Philadelphia from a district system that's majority black? Easy. The policies he voted on, the things he advocated for, the things he got returned to his district were very valuable and people didn't vote based on skin color. 
it now i'm not saying that uh that it isn't important and by the way uh prof i thought when you and uh, uh and pam keith were talking about the clerk of the house that was a beautiful thing wasn't it <laughs> yeah sure and and you know you think of a person as a clerk you know somebody that is uh you know they're they're secretarial this mm-hmm. woman uh first of all degree from howard law degree from howard, howard. Law degree. h-u Went to Harvard, went to Harvard to study, you know, administrative government. Uh, I think she's got a, a, a PhD in government from like she is a bad, she's a bad woman. No question. Her demeanor, her comments. Senior administrative in the Smithsonian for years as well. So I guess she worked with a bunch of them. So I got to ask uh, Kishasa and them. Y'all know, I'm sure they do. Because black women in the Smithsonian are thick, man. They, they don't be playing down there. Them sisters be running the Smithsonian. So I mean, yeah. Oh, no question. Bad sister. But even that, you know, um, as you're talking, the Republicans are about the the visage theater. They didn't nominate one woman. They could have, right? If you want to, if you want to play that game, why not nominate a woman? While y'all were doing your theater, because you knew you were just, you know, it was Kabuki theater, right? Well, well, why not nominate a woman? You saw, you saw the lady, uh, the congresswoman who was from Ukraine. She was the one, who the first one that abstained. Yes, or yeah, that's. That's right. And, and 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 then when she switched her vote, I saw an interview with her and she's saying, oh, yeah, we're going to support Ukraine. I was like, yeah, because you're a nationalist, too. You're a global nationalist. See, it looks like it's local politics. None of that politics is local. It's all nationalists, all global. But if they had nominated a woman, I mean, they had a 3 a.m. bar fight between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Bobo. Uh, y'all supposed to be friends, <laughs> but whoa, was like, no, nah, I'm getting ready to get some committee assignments brought. So you take that cocktail dress and you saddle on back to them five vote victory you got in Colorado. Cause before we got here in a brawl, cause I run an exercise place in Georgia and I will beat your natural. It was, I was like waiting for a brawl to break out, especially since they took down the, 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 the magnometers or whatever. So it's like, y'all could be in here strapped right now. In fact, in the, in the, in the speaker's election of 1856, there were as many as 300 guns brought in over the course of those several months. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm like, how y'all missed the real story? Because that whole that whole speaker's fight in 18, from December 1855 to uh, February 1856, the whole fight was about slavery. I'm saying, how y'all black people sitting up in here? Wow. And none of y'all mentioned that Nathaniel Prentice Banks Alice. was the consensus candidate of something called the new party called the Republican Party. There was a midterm election in 1856. The election, I'm sorry, 1854. The midterm election, then they voted on a speaker. December 54, couldn't get it done. It took them to February 56, but that was the midterm elections. 14th president of the United States, Franklin Pierce, a blood relative, distant relative of Barbara Bush, by the way. You know, they keep it in the house, in the family. The election of 1856 was a three-way contest that was won by James Buchanan. James Buchanan was the Democrat. He beat J.C. Fremont. Fremont was a general, excuse me, a general in the Civil War that jumped off a few years later because of this mess. Really, when we talk about the Civil War, Civil War starts in 1861, Fort Sumter, South Carolina. Uh, shout out, by the way, to Preston Book, Brooks, Congressman Preston Brooks from South Carolina, who crossed over on the Senate side with his cane and beat the hell out of Charles Sumner, uh, Senator Sumner, Massachusetts, one of the architects of the. Wait, wait, please pause. 
because um, I know this story because I've yeah. you know I've been the blood his blood Charles Sumner's blood is still in the concrete there right oh, like yeah. How about so this was all about this no question and remember okay. Charles Sumner, by the way Charles Sumner was born uh January 6th 1811 his birthday was yesterday I mean it's crazy how these things convert it was all over slavery the whole thing was over. It was 1856 when he got there. Charles Sumner delivers the speech. He's anti-slavery. He's yes. out there telling people yes. we got to abolish. We got to do this and this and that. Yes. This dude beats the, the hell out of him with his cane. Beats yep. him bloody. Beats him yes. almost half to death. Yes. And this is going on with the house as well. No question. In fact, yesterday when that when that cat came over to gather Matt Gates, I'm saying this is the spirit of Charles Summer. Somebody about to get choked out here, choked out on a Friday night, baby. I could do it, do it. And you you got to, I know you're gonna watch it at some point. The dude, the white boy behind him, grabbed him. This is a beefy dude. He up in the aisle. You can see him move. To he grabbed him by around the neck, and then his hand slid up over his face, and he just in a move. I'm like, yo, and them C-SPAN cameras cut off. But yeah, the whole thing was. In fact, we talk about the Civil War. We know. We talk about Reconstruction. But the decade that set it up was the 1850s. And we've talked about this before. John C. Calhoun, that's what the father of the filibuster, South Carolina. So anyway, I didn't want get, to get, get too far off into that. But um, and before we move on from Sister Johnson, we should also shout out the two women who were uh, what they call house reading clerks. One of them, the white woman, was alternating with a sister named Talise Ali. Shout out to Talise Ali, who was doing the, uh, the counting near the end, the house reading clerk. Uh, she worked on the uh, House Committee on Education and Workforce uh, for a number of years. She, she was the tally clerk. Um, so the sisters were holding it down. Oh, and remember, Prof, uh, before this, if anybody had seen Cheryl Johnson on television, she had a quote unquote star turn in 2020 and 2021. Remember, she's the one who walked the, uh, the Congress people with the articles of impeachment over to the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> so she been she been regulating for a minute. Regulate <laughs> anyway, Cheryl Johnson. But anyway, shout out to Cheryl Johnson and Talisa Ali. And I thought it was interesting because uh, when the boy from Arizona got up to nominate Byron Donalds the first time, he or maybe it wasn't the first time he uh, he said, "Well, let's thank uh, the clerk. Let's thank Cheryl Johnson." And then, of course, got a rousing ovation and somebody shouted from the gallery of one of the Congress people, you know, Cheryl, John uh, Cheryl Johnson for speaker. Like, yeah, she could be speaker. You can do anybody. And then last night, Kevin McCarthy started his remarks by thanking uh, Ms. Johnson. Maybe he'll let her stay. Maybe she wouldn't want to stay. But who knows? Um, maybe they're really reappointed. She's been there since 2018. Pelosi appointed her. And Pelosi also appointed Talisa Ali as well. So these people could lose their jobs because they're going to put their folk in? Oh, yeah, they will. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's a, I won't say it's a patronage job, but in the sense that, you know, I mean, in the case of Miss Ali, in the case of Miss Johnson, Clerk Johnson and reading clerk uh, Ali, you know, these are sisters who are lifers. They've worked a number of different jobs and very, um, very important jobs on Capitol Hill and in the federal government generally. So. You know, I guess in one way you could look at it as a reward, but knowing the white nationalist party, knowing the Republicans, they may put a 15 year old in there who can't, you know, can't, can't read or count, right? Yeah, read or count. Yeah. In fact, they would, they may do that just to ensure that they don't have no problems going, going forward. But, you know, 
as as much three pause i'm sorry i just no, no, no. this we have i'm glad to have this conversation this because this is what we this is what they should have been doing all week on the news so this is an important conversation we had yes go please no go one ahead. no one is disturbed i mean it again is remarkable to me how mediocre and poorly or seemingly poorly educated or poorly you know brained the Republicans are and showing them, you know, it's like they're put it, they put it on display. You always say, put your talk and put your whole brain on display. We got to see people's brains on display and it was, you know, they were not uh, hiding it, you know, and the contrast was stunning and you're right. You know, it's like, are we okay with this? Like, is this, or no, but American people, are you okay with this? That's the question. Ask them the question, Prof. All the people who listen to you through the week, all the people now in Narrative and Nubia and all the people on YouTube who come in, we got to ask that question. Are you okay with this? Because this impacts your life. Like you said, there was no Congress this week. No Congress. I mean, there are there are things that we might consider mundane. Some people with two nickels to rub together, for example, who might have, for example, let their passport. Uh, expire and they needed to get an expedited passport they didn't have a congressperson this week <laughs> so there was nobody they could call there's no congressional offices <laughs> That's it. i mean the things that you know we don't think about until we need them now imagine if they're going on for another couple of weeks you know constituent services are real you know if, i mean you think about those people who are staunch republicans who are immigrants and they say because everybody worked themselves up by their bootstrap but they vote locally for democrats because they get constituent services. And well, if they had walked into uh, a congressional office in Philly or New York or Boston or Austin, Texas, and I need so-and-so, uh, you know, wait a minute, what about, you know, I, there's, there's been a mix up with my Medicaid or, you know, my social security. You don't have a congressperson? It's closed. <laughs> so yeah, these, these are real life things. And I'm sure that there'll be some profiles written in over the next several months and there'll be long feature articles in the Washington Post and New York Times Magazine about somebody who got harmed and they'll use it to tell the story. But media missed their opportunity to tell the story. Right. So, and so I this, know we need to tell that story. But beyond that, that, these are the people that that make our laws. That's exactly right. These are the people that make our laws. Or don't make or don't make our laws because we know that that so-called uh, unfreedom caucus, their whole goal is to stop any laws from being made. Like they just want to just stop everything. Their goal is to destroy the federal government. And if 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 what we are hearing reported, and by the way, we're all going to know shortly. We're all going to know shortly because the first act is to pick a speaker. The second act is to make the rules. So we might be going through this again in a 15 seconds from now, because if what is being reported is clear, then, then the whole idea that part of the concessions are they are going to have four of their hardcore white nationalist caucus in the white nationalist party on the rules committee. That means they will have veto power over any rule. Now, if he gave that up, that means, I mean, you know, I mean, and then one person, they went from five to one. He said, I'm not going to go lower than five. Oh, no, you're going to go. You want to be speaker so bad, young man? All right. One congressperson. Well, he did. He gave that up. He did. He gave it up. That's what they're saying. But we, but we won't know until. You understand? But let's say that when it comes time to vote on the rules, some of those Republicans peel off, join the Democrats, and say, "No, nah, that's a bridge too far." Do you you do realize then that they're going to start to recall him because they called the man a liar? We know he has no convictions. He'll do anything. I mean, it's 
it's almost ancestral, isn't it? On the literal anniversary of the attempt to overthrow Congress from outside, they were able to overthrow it from the inside. I mean, it's like the symmetry is beautiful. Wow. <laughs> it took them two years for the coup, but on the day of the outside attack, two year anniversary of it, they, they finally flipped it on the inside. <laughs> you understand? But it's going to be impossible to govern because they don't want to govern. This is pure intransigence. In fact, I saw a tweet the other day. Uh, somebody tweeted out, we've already won. Now we're just debating the scope of the victory. That is true. So when you ask, you know, do we care? Are we paying attention? Do we care? Is there anything else? Look, did you see how, uh, first of all, shout out to whoever from Walmart or Target or wherever uh, y'all opened a three pack and gave Jim Jordan a t-shirt to wear up under his shirt because he usually don't have no t-shirt on every time i see him on it uh, on the screen with a wrinkled shirt and seemed like i see all that pink i'm like dude you even have undergarments anyway the point is that uh did you see how scared jim jordan look jim jordan don't want to be speaker jim jordan don't do no work jim jordan is a mile a minute mouth moving he just wants to be the chair of the judiciary committee so he can start investigating did you and, and last night for those of you who stayed up and watched it or like Oz and them, it was probably in the morning there because obviously it was around, it was around, I think McCarthy, y'all correct me in the chat here. What time did McCarthy give his speech? Jeffries and McCarthy went on, whoo, what about 1.30? Maybe 1, 1.30? Yeah, he did say governance, Sherlina, many times. Look, I'm going to say less about uh, my man, uh, Congressman Jeffries, uh, his brother, uh, my friend Hassan, who's a professor of African studies uh, uh, in history department, rather, at Ohio State University, good brother. But the Jeffries are well studied. In fact, they went to Kemet in 1987 as young boys uh, with their uncle and auntie. But I'll, we can talk about that another day. So, yeah, a lot of what you hear Hakeem Jeffries say, this ain't new. And I don't mean I'm caping for Hakeem Jeffries either, because, you know, this is a neoliberal uh, society we live in. And, and there are some things that we have come to in the United States of America for those who are living outside the U.S. and for young people here today who may have gotten the civics lessons in school because they stripped that out. By the way, Kevin McCarthy mentioned that last night that they're going after what they teach in our schools. I'm like, dude, that's just red meat for your base because you know the federal government ain't got nothing to do with that. Y'all always talking about getting rid of the Department of Education, but that's a whole nother story for another day. It's just that that you know, education and uh, like marriage and you know and and, and uh, healthcare. Uh, that's the provenance of the states uh, voting that kind of thing. But um, at any rate, as, as I was saying, you know, as McCarthy began to talk, some of the things he was talking about are really about dismantling the federal apparatus. So not only do they not want to govern, they have set it up so that they can't govern. And let's say that they vote on everything he said he was going to vote on. First thing out of his mouth when he when he started talking after he thanked uh, the clerk, after he did a few other things, he said, the first bill we're going to do is to get rid of how many of those, how many IRS agents had they hired prior? It was 83,000. Uh, but he said, we're going to get rid of them. Okay, let's say that you vote on that and get that through the House. You know you got to get through the Senate, right? And the president got to sign it, right? This, they're not going to pass anything anyway. This is all for their crowd. They hired uh, 87,000 new 87, IRS agents. 87,000. So if you are one of the 87,000 IRS agents that was hired and you heard that last night and you felt a shiver up your spine, don't worry. They, they can't do it because that's only one 
House in a bicameral House. <laughs> no, the Senate not gonna pass that, and the president ain't gonna sign it if the Senate did pass it. So, okay, and and if he when he vetoes it, they don't have the, the numbers to override it in the Senate. But it goes back to what you said a few minutes ago, Fra. This is why voting is important, and please understand that. Um, so, but I think this week was such a rich lesson, and we could take these three days and build a whole course around what we were looking at. And I'm not just talking about the People Magazine, TMZ, George Santos, whatever. And shout out to the Brazilian government and uh, Lula da Silva, who was inaugurated on Sunday. We talked about that Monday night in office hours for a bit because the Brazilians said, oh, there you are. Get him. Because apparently this guy got some charges that they've been trying to put on him by some bad checks and stuff in Brazil for years, but they didn't know where he was. Now the world knows where he is. So the Brazilians are like, yeah, uh, a word with you, whatever your name is, because I've already seen at least one. Have you seen this? At least one other alias he has used. So I don't even know if that's But he, he raised his hand. Not that that means anything. Marimba, I need to call that the rhetorical ethic. But at any rate, that's, you know, OK, gossipy or it's like, you know, interesting. Uh, uh, but there are moments that can be used as metaphors and, 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 and teachable moments, points of entry for larger conversation. Did you see yesterday, uh, for example, was it yesterday or day before at, uh, during one of the adjournments or breaks, Marjorie Taylor Greene bending down, uh, looked like she was paying respects to only saw a still photograph, uh, speaking with, uh, Reverend Jackson, Jesse Jackson senior, who was sitting in a wheelchair, uh, probably, I mean, Jesse can walk, but. You know, it's probably easy to get Parkinson's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't see that. They were in the halls of Congress and she was bending over and people were like, what is she saying to him? Because, hey, you know, he was in town because his son right. Jonathan, was sworn in because, you know, Jonathan ran in the special election for Bobby Rush's uh, seat. So Wait, so Jesse Jackson Jr. out right, with right. Jonathan, Jonathan in. Yep. Yep. Jonathan Jackson is now a congressman from Illinois. That was Bobby, the seat Bobby Rush uh, retired from Congress and Jonathan Jackson won, won the election to replace him. But so, so Jesse was in town. Of course, nobody could go anywhere. The families could. Now imagine now, you like our young brother, Maxwell Frost, 25 years old. And shout out to my, <laughs> to my sister, young sister, uh, Summer Lee, Congresswoman Lee now, Congresswoman elect up until last night, uh, because she tweeted a couple of days ago, 15 times the charm. My like, Summer, how did you know? But at any rate, you know, Summer Lee ain't got no money. Maxwell Frost is couch surfing. The Republicans are like, man, you make $170 something dollars a year. Yeah, but his credit ain't there and it's DC. So if y'all know anything about that, it could be tough. And Congress people be living with each other. They call them roommates. They get a townhouse or an apartment. They in town, out of town. But I'm saying, imagine you are a relative of someone who was elected to Congress and has limited means. And you thought you were going. You got your money together. You got the baby together. Grandma came, whatever. Y'all got y'all passes. Y'all there Tuesday. And these people showed they behind. And now you got to pay an extra night at the hotel. You ain't got no money. And then and then you got to pay another extra. Baby, we got to go. There were a couple of Congress people. I don't know. You probably saw it. You may have reported on it, uh, Prof. Um, somebody's mama's funeral was yesterday. And they came anyway. Somebody had surgery. Uh, they, no, was, they had a doctor's appointment. I, I was getting clarity on it. I think they had a doctor's appointment. Oh, doctor's and, appointment. Yeah, and uh, Hakeem, because I was like, who's the one person that didn't vote for Hakeem Jeffries? And they were like, they left because who thought we were going to keep going? They had an appointment, but they came back for the um, the 10th ballot, I think. That's so. exactly right. And, and, and if you know, I mean, particularly when you're talking about 
folks who are not subsidized by the billionaire class. Now, once you're elected to Congress, there are all kinds of things that you will be opened up to because they're going to try to sway you. And this is where I'm going with this uh, as a as a point of entry for a teachable moment. But, you know, particularly when you're talking about black folk who are not part of uh, kind of governance formation dynasties like the Jackson family. You know, Jonathan Jackson, you know, okay, we'll spend another night. We'll spring for another night, a couple of nights, three nights, whatever. But yeah, not Maxwell Frost and Summer Lee. These are, you know, these 25, 26, 27 year olds. They don't have that kind of resources. You see what I'm saying? And so, you know, there are there are people like that, and you're more likely to find them in the Democratic Party. Now, not to say the Democratic Party is either perfect or that different from the Republican Party as it relates to these rules, which gets to the point I'm about to make <clears throat> in terms of a point of entry. While everybody was having fun with why, what is Paul Gosser saying to uh, Ocasio-Cortez, we don't need to miss the fact that the white nationalist caucus, this, this clavering caucus, this little, this little hard knot in a larger field of white violence, that one of the things they want to change with the rules is that they want to be able to have open debate on all bills and amendments added from the floor on bills, because right now they don't. This is a point of agreement with many in the Democratic Party, because many in the Democratic Party, and, and by the way, everybody was trying to make a false equivalency between the quote unquote, the squad and the white nationalists and see, it's like, uh, no. And, and it wasn't Nancy Pelosi strong arming them alone, although she did strong arm the Ohan Omars and the AOCs and the Rashida Tlaibs and, you know, of course. But it was also the fact that in terms of policy, these are not stupid people in the Democratic Party. When you talk about the squad and Summer Lee going to be right up in the middle of the squad, I'm sure Maxwell Frost going to be in the middle of them too, too. I mean, Jamal Bowman and them. The point I'm trying to make is that they are coming in with a policy agenda that is about, and, and Hakeem Jeffries went through the list last night in his speech. He basically gave a speaker speech and then turned over the microphone. It was so disrespectful. You, you want me to play it? No, 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 no. Y'all can go. It. Oh, I'm sure you do. I mean, you, we, I mean, you know, if you want to play, I'll play it at the end. I mean, because again, I'm not capable for the Democratic Party, but what I am doing is saying that. To the point that you raised, uh, Prof, which is really the theme we should be thinking about. The fact of the matter is we have to identify what our goals and objectives are and then try to figure out how we can get what we want. We talked about this every time we've talked about elections. And at the end of the day, the Democratic Party, when you start talking about capping insulin costs, at $34, $35, when you start talking about expanding Medicaid so people can get their health care, when you start talking about enshrining a woman's right to choose in the federal uh, in the federal law, these are things the white nationalists voted against unanimously, including Kevin McCarthy. And so when Hakeem Jeffries is going through all those things, you're saying, well, no, this is just Democratic Party. No, 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 no. What is your objective? Don't take the DNR off and look at your objective. And there was a point of convergence there. Which is why Gossip went over there after they floated some propaganda and said, well, AOC said maybe there's some places where they could agree. Maybe we can peel off some Democrats and they'll vote for McCarthy because they like some of these rule changes. And you can see Ocasio-Cortez saying to Gossip, it's not what you said. It's not what you said. In other words, he's trying to say, well, I didn't say that. Nah, it's not what you said. Uh -uh. You said, I said so-and-so, and you can cut that noise right now. We ain't switching no aisles, bruh. So don't try to pull me in no mess. There's no equivalencies. But there 
are some conversions. One of them is we want to be able to amend from the floor. Now, does that sound reasonable? Sure. But here's what party politics has done. Party politics in this system we live in. Party politics is not written in, in the Constitution, federal Constitution or state constitutions or local constitutions. Political parties are not there. People are fond of saying the founding fathers didn't anticipate uh, political parties. Yeah, the founding fathers didn't anticipate that we would be having a conversation. If they would come back here now and see us having this conversation, their heads would explode. Boom, boom, boom. And I would say, good, just don't get none of it on me because I don't want none of that on me. But your head should explode. But the point, though, <laughs> is that they didn't anticipate political parties. This is the X factor. And it's not it's a two party system now, but it hasn't always been a two party system. And in fact. What we've seen this week, talk about another point of entry. Yes, it says D. Yes, it says R. And as uh, I think it was uh, Whip Clark who got up the eighth ballot and was like 212, 212, 212, said it eight times. Right. And said, and this time going to be two. Yeah, they, they stuck together. But what you saw in the Republican Party was a glimpse of the kind of contention that for much of the history of the United States of America was at play. In other words, it hadn't always been two parties. The Republican Party almost, you almost saw them split into two parties. You got this hardcore white nationalists and then you got the rest of them in the GOP. Policy, not a whole lot of disagreement. So it's not the same, but it's as close as you would get today to an 1856. Because in 1856, you had the know-nothings, the nativists, the Americans. These formations, know-nothings and the Americans. It, remember, uh, Prof, remember, um, and everybody, remember the um, the movie Gangs of New York? Daniel Day-Lewis? Yes. The, the real Americans, the true Americans, they're the nativists. That was a real thing. And by the way, 1863, that's when that movie was, that's the draft riots. When the immigrants were coming. How many, black, how many black people lost their lives because no question and how many didn't because those black women got up on the uh, top of that building and dumped the king of pain on them white boys when they was coming to burn down another building the king of pain with these black women who washed clothes who took in laundry in new york city and as the white boys was coming down the avenue to go find some more black people to kill these sisters on the roof got their big vats with boiled water, put lye in, nails, all kind of things, stirred it up till it was boiling. They called it the king of pain. Here they go, boom, put it on them. Anyway, so there are a few black people whose lives were saved because of those sisters, but they burnt the colors, colored orphans asylum. That's exactly right. They killed a lot of black people. But in that movie, that Daniel Day-Lewis character is representing the idea of the nativists. In other words, I'm a real American. You ain't no American. Because, you know, but that, that nativism was one of the impulses of the 1850s. The whole idea was, I'm an American, and as an American, I don't think we should be involved in foreign affairs. I don't think, I think we should be concerned with what we're doing here. I want to be able to sell my labor for wages, and I want to move forward and make, you know, that kind of thing. So you have that impulse. Uh, Catholic, heavy Catholic influences, the know-nothings. In other words, almost like MAGA. Not quite, but it's a close enough metaphor. The MAGA of the 19th century, the know-nothings. They call themselves the know-nothings. Right? The Americans, the know-nothings, these nativists. Then you have what they call the free soilers. The free soilers say, I want to sell my labor. 
and I want to compete for labor. And I think that liberty is important and they embrace that, right? And so part of the free soiler movement was many of the free soilers were also against slavery. So Philip Fauna, many years ago, uh, wrote a book, Free Soil, Free Soil, Free Labor, Free Men, something like that. It was one of the first books that dealt with this. Again, I'm watching all these presidential historians and all these congressional historians. Ain't none of y'all going to talk about, oh, it's, it's not since 1923. And uh, of course, um, <laughs> Joe Scarborough, I haven't since 1923. And uh, before that, it was 1856. And I, hold on, Foghorn Leghorn. You missed an opportunity. Not really, because you ain't interested in this. You got a little social structure conversation going on. And you really should be interested in it, because what we're seeing now is like the 1850s, except, which is why I wore my George Clinton Parliament Funkadelic Chocolate City shirt today. Remember Chocolate City? Gaining on you. <laughs> the demographics has changed. We gaining on you. Now you're throwing out Negroes and Latinos on the Republican side, and you got some white women mixed in there because you think Democrats. No, we gaining on you in terms of a different approach and a different attitude toward the policy. But anyway, I'll, get to, I'll, I'll come back to that. What you see is you've got in the 1850s, the parties that preceded that, Democratic Party, it's Andrew Jackson, and before that, Democratic Republicans, if you want to call them that, Thomas Jefferson, go back to that, right? But you've got the Democrats. This is a party, the working class, the common people, but it's also the party of the South. And of course, the South is the slave power. Because one of the things is I was watching this, and I'm watching these people completely miss everything in terms of the what we can learn from the 19th century. I'm asking, will any of you, won't any of you bring up what black people were saying during the 1850s? Because we were around and all of us weren't enslaved. Uh, about 4 million were, but there were hundreds of thousands who weren't. Among them, J.W.C. Pennington, who had written a, a black history textbook, William Cooper Nell, Colored Pages of the American Revolution. Uh, by the end of the decade, you've got Martin Delaney, 1859. Yeah, we read Delaney together, Nubians. You remember that? We read we read Blake, uh, The Huts of America. That's written in the 1850s. And those of you who are, are narrative subscribers, when you go into, if you're watching this later on YouTube, we encourage you all to please. And in, in, in addition, we might as well, just for the fun of it, you know, hit that like button and subscribe to Professor Hunter's channel. We ain't said that in a long time, but it's a new year, so we're going to revive. Let's, let's, let's just, we, we are full spectrum dominance. That's what we're about now. And I think hopefully you can see in these few minutes we've been talking why it's important that we have conversations like this because ain't none of this been kind of like, y'all Negroes had a full week to talk and you missed everything. Anyway, uh, Delaney, Remember, we talked about it. And if you go back, all right, pause. Get this together so we can follow in a straight line. If you go back through the archive of our conversations, now clo closing in on the three-year mark in a couple of months of conversations, you know, we spent a we spent several sessions on John Brown. 1850s. It's all tied. The speaker in 1856. 1859, Harper's Ferry. 1854, the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Know nothings. Uh, nativists. You know, you got these parties, right? Nativists. You got the free soilers. What is a free soiler? A free soiler is somebody that says you shouldn't have slavery. Many of them. Not all of them, but many of them. Free soilers say you should be able to sell your wages, sell your work for wages, and we don't believe in slavery. 
The Democrats, some are in the North, most in the South, this is the party of slavery, the so-called slave power. Remember 1820, the so-called Missouri Compromise allows for the expansion of slavery. 1850, the Great Compromise of 1850, that's when they established California. And I think they let in Maine as a free state. Uh, Maine and California came in as free states. What they're doing is they want to expand slavery, the Democrats and the people, the people in the South, the slave power. They want to expand slavery across the continent. The free soilers, many of them don't want to do that. Some of the nativists don't want to do it. Some of the know-nothings don't want to do it. But in, in the elections, you've got all these people got different parties. There's a party called the Whig Party. Now, the Whig Party, you would you'd think if the Democratic Party is pro-slavery and you got an anti-slavery impulse, perhaps the Whigs will have some of it. The Whig Party starts withering and dying. The Whig Party doesn't make it out of the 1850s. Because in 1854, they, the Congress passed and President uh, Franklin Pierce passed into law something called the Kansas-Nebraska Act, expanded slavery in the territories. And remember, we talked about this narrative folk and Nubians. We spent hours on this, and it's all in the archive and narrative. John Brown and his sons go out to Kansas. Where they, that's why they call him Old Potawatomi Brown. Because now everybody's running out there. You for slavery, you against slavery. You out there scrapping in Kansas and Nebraska. In Kansas in particular, that's why they call it bleeding Kansas. They out there fighting. We're going to go back through that. Go to the archive or go, you know, go do a little bit of research on John Brown. You can see all that. My point is this. This is the 1850s. Now, when you get to the midterm elections in 54, midterm federal elections, you've got Democrat Party, you got a Whig Party, you got the Know Nothing Party, you got, and nobody has enough votes to elect the speaker. There's 17 different people who were nominated for Speaker of the House after those midterm elections in 54. And the, and the major conflict, anti-slavery versus slavery. And the anti-slavery people are trying to find somebody to, they can nominate for Speaker of the House, that they can get in as Speaker because they don't like the Kansas-Nebraska Act. They see the, the storm clouds on the horizon and of course, the storm clouds are going to break by the end of the decade with the help of uh, some thumb on the scale Article Three court named the Supreme Court. Uh, what, what was that famous Supreme Court case, Professor Hunter, of the 1850s? Um, uh, oh, yeah. Dred Scott versus Sanford, 1857. Come on, I'm saying, are y'all, are we, what are we talking about here? Y'all just want to talk about uh, Matt Gates. And this is a moment when everybody watching the C SPAN, as the papers report, C SPAN viewership shot through the rock. I wouldn't expect C SPAN to do it. They're trying to be, you know, balls of strike. But you got all this real estate on CNN, MSNBC, uh, wherever, and you have an opportunity to have America's classroom, and you completely missed it. You completely missed it, but that's okay. That's why we have this space. The point is that they need a speaker that's going to push the anti-slavery agenda. One problem, they really don't have a political party to inhabit. They can't count on all the know-nothings. They can't count on all the natives because you got white supremacy and all that too. So it's interesting. So you got the 34th House of Representatives coming in together and the majority of people uh, really probably favored barring slavery from the territories. But you got to have a speaker. So then they decide they're going to put three people up, three major people that could be speaker. Lewis Campbell of Ohio, uh, ACM Pennington of New Jersey, 
and it's Cat Banks from Massachusetts. Banks is not an abolitionist, but he don't like slavery, but he's kind of a moderate. Campbell goes down in flames. Banks comes close. He gets like 100, over 100 votes, like 107 votes. Because remember, it's only 200 some people in Congress at the time. And so he's close. He's like five or six votes short, but he keeps coming up short, keeps coming up short. So then they switch him out, put in Pennington, put up Pennington. Pennington gets blasted, say, we got to go back to bank uh, to Banks. Banks eventually wins. Banks eventually wins. But the thing it took so long to do to get him in the Congress as speaker, what we saw these last three days was a faint echo of that. So last night around 11 o'clock, 11.30, when that beefy cat went over there to uh, to tighten up uh, Matt Gates because there had been a miscommunication, apparently there's another congressperson in the never in, in, in the never Kevin's who were supposed to uh vote for McCarthy and that would allow Gates to vote present. Gates voted present and they thought he was the one who betrayed it. And I guess he was telling them, no, nah, I was well, he I don't know if he gave up to do, but they all cowards, so he probably did get him up. But anyway, it did come out eventually that that was a mistake. But anyway, they was getting ready to slap him around. I'm saying, but just goes to Charles Sumner. During this contentious fight over the Speaker of the House in 1856, according to some of the scholars who've written about this, as many as 300 guns were brought into the chamber. Now, that's crazy. A cane is one thing, but you in here packing? Yeah, because I'll shoot you. I will shoot you. I'm going to come back to Banks in a minute. We're going to eventually they get, they get him in. But that doesn't save the country, does it? Because two years later, Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. There was the, you know, Banks is sworn in as speaker. And out of that struggle comes a new political party that absorbs much of the Whigs, absorbs much of the know-nothings, absorbs some of the nativists, but some of the nativists are pro-slavery. So the Democratic Party gets them. They kind of go into the Democratic Party. But this new formation coming out of that 1856 war over politics and slavery, we know it as the Republican Party. That was the birth of the Republican Party. I'm like, what are y'all doing on TV? Y'all, y'all waste, y'all wasting time. Y'all selling commercial time. Y'all could be teaching the world a lesson about this. And most importantly, what we can draw from what we're watching that might tell us where it's going next. Because here's a major difference, as we know, between 1856 and 2022 in the United States. And I'm sorry, those of us who are not in the country right now, because we got, you know, we got a global classroom. We ain't here now. But please forgive us, because I know y'all looking at this like people crazy. And uh, no, actually, I think the globe watches us, which is why Brazil, <laughs> Brazil has just instituted black history, our black history, American black history in their schools while we won't do it. Uh, the world is always watching what America is doing. So this I is. Agree. I agree. I agree. And in fact, let's just take 30 quick seconds and pause and note that, um, you know, with the funeral of uh, Benedict, now there's been some possible stirring that perhaps um, the current Pope Francis might retire because Benedict said he's first one to retire in half a millennia. And so, you know, Francisco is uh, Pope Francis has been you know, he uses a wheelchair to get around this kind of thing. So, you know, he maybe, you know, maybe he's setting the precedent. Um, Pele, of course, funeral was there. There's some interesting things around Pele and socialism. Um, 
uh, Pele is an interesting character politically as well. And of course, the Brazilian government basically made him a wholly owned subsidiary and brand ambassador, but he was not without his own politics. But Pele's funeral, of course, took place. And Lula, as you mentioned, De Silva has been making this noise that he made the first time he was in. And by the way, it's interesting, isn't it? All these heads of state from around the world went to Lula's inauguration. United States did not send the head of state, the president or the vice president, and go, but Deb Holland went. Does anybody know why Deb Holland represented the United States, led the, led the delegation from the United States? Let's see. I'll put it here. I don't. Go into the Nubia chat. Let's see. Let's, let's somebody there knows. Somebody knows. No question. I'm sure. In fact, Deb Holland, of course, is the United States Secretary of the Interior, indigenous woman, former congresswoman. And she is very strong, relatively speaking, in the United States. Ain't nobody that strong in the United States political uh, elected politician, but she's strong on the environment. That's why she was picked. In fact, today's uh, weekend Financial Times, I thought I saw uh, Lula's secret. Well, I say Lula's. The Brazilian government's uh, secretary of the interior uh, is serving her second term in that role. Here she is. I love how these white boys make these caricature cartoons and try to make them look crazy. Anyway, this sister right here, this is Secretary of the Interior in Brazil, uh, Marina Silva, fearless campaigner for Brazil's rainforest. And one of the things Lula said in his inauguration speech, which was magnificent, and thanks, Oz, and those who posted as well and said, I know you down there in the middle of it, um, his speech for us to look at. Uh, one of the things he says, we got we to say this rainforest. The reason Deb Holland led the U.S. delegation is because she's very strong on the environment, relatively speaking, in American politics and as secretary of the, in, in, uh, the uh, interior and also an indigenous woman. So we call it we call it Indians or Native Americans here again with a social structure framing. But she's indigenous. So she went to see her indigenous counterpart as well. So, of course, Silva. Imagine that Silva and Holland. We gain it on you. <laughs> chocolate city chocolate globe you know we gaining on you as uh as uh as george clinton would have said we gaining on you but but the we isn't just demographics it's policy so the question of what we can learn today from the 1850s the demographics have changed this ain't the united states of the 1850s which of course thinking about what were black people saying at the time sent me back I'm looking at J.F.C. Pennington. Huh. All my volumes of the Black Abolitionist Papers are in storage. So even the one volume, Peter Ripley's one volume, Black Abolitionist Papers, wasn't as helpful. I looked at Woodson, uh, which you see if you look, read his book or look at his compendium of primary documents, The Mind of the Negro, as reflected in uh, letters written during the crisis. You'll see some reference to the 1850s, a lot of reference. Again, Delaney's in there, all through there. If you get his other volume, Negro Orators and Orations, uh, you'll see speeches given during this period. People like to talk about Frederick Douglass, but what is Frederick Douglass saying? Remember, what did the slaves of the 4th of July is 1852. This is All this is surrounding these politics, and at the center of the speaker fighting 50, in 56 was slavery. So, after that, I said, well, what were later commentators, later cultural meaning makers, later thinkers of African descent saying about this. And that sent me to Du Bois. It sent me Nubians for those who, you know, who know, remember uh, Monday night, last Monday night when we read Tony K. Bambara and Vincent Harding, uh, sent me to There is a River. 
and a, a number of other things. Uh, Merle Raymond Epps, The Negro Two in American History, Woodson and Wesley, The Negro in Our History. You know, we've been writing textbooks on American history for a century and a half, actually longer than that, because Jada, uh, well, I don't know if you call Robert Benjamin Lewis, 1837, Light and Truth, a textbook, but certainly J.W.C. Pennington, 1843, and then George Washington Williams, two volumes, A History of the uh, of the Negro in Africa and America. That's 1887, long before there's a John Hope Franklin to write from slavery to freedom. So we've been addressing the 1850s, and sure enough, there it is, the sectional conflict, intersectional conflict, not intersectionality, sectionality. It's not North versus South, it's interest, the business interest, for example, that put their resources behind this new party, the Republican Party, and what are the bedrock principles of this emerging party in the 1850s called Republican Party that absorbs part of the Whigs, old Whig party that absorbs the know-nothing part of that, absorbs some of the nativists. Their thing is we want to have business interests at the center of this. And for many of the people who find themselves in the Republican Party, slavery is bad for business. Oh, slavery is bad for business? Yeah. So the business interests are supposed to be at the center of the Republican Party. But watch this. Fast forward to 2022. This Republican Party wants to fight everybody in the world. I don't know, Prof, if you saw, you probably did see, and I was looking around because I don't know, I switched out every time, you know, when the paper comes, I read the paper and then I'll take the other one out. And uh, is this uh, Wednesday? It wasn't Wednesday, it was Thursday on the front page. Oh, yeah, <laughs> this is uh, Sam Bankman. You going to jail, baby. But anyway, um, I think it was Thursday's Financial Times. And I was at the bookstore. And we were talking about it. And I said, Apple lost a trillion dollars. And it was like, nah. And I pulled the paper out. And there it was. Apple lost one trillion. That's with a T. It lost a trillion dollars. Stock value. You see Bed Bath & Beyond about to go out of business. The International Money Fund uh, issued uh, a statement yesterday telling the United States Fed, the Federal Reserve, hey, y'all go easy on this kind of... Uh, monetary policy because yeah maybe you think it's going to be a soft landing and it won't really be a recession but we're not sure because we're seeing these jobs continue and there's still a lot of uh people who uh are not working but there are plenty of jobs more jobs than people and the wages are going up so i don't know about inflation in other words there's a lot of instability out there right now mm -hmm. uh, i don't know if you have any thoughts on that because i mean again you know, they, they have to manual. Well, you know, we have more jobs than people mm -hmm. because people have choices now. Right. Which we found during the pandemic. That's right. The tech companies made record profits. So while Apple might have lost a trillion, how much did they gain during the you know last couple of years? So we're not factoring that in. Same with the oil companies. Mm -hmm. So they have to the interest rates are, you know, the feds have to keep the interest rates driving up to try to put pressure on these companies to lay folk off so that we can have a lack so that folk can be scared so that they, you know, so that the recession can come in so that they can then lower the interest rates for the people with money to be able to borrow money at a low. I mean, it's manufactured at this point. Sure. Right. This, this right. fear is and fear becomes reality. You, you know what I'm saying? That exactly right. at the end of the day, you say a thing enough times it manifests. Exactly so they are trying to, and the, the media is complicit. And I hate that um, we have so few people, and I'm not an economist, but we have people, I used to cover business, Dr. Carr, <laughs> knew nothing about business at the time. 
They put my, my young non-business knowing ass in the business department to write about business stories I knew nothing about. But you were quick study. I am a quick study, but they didn't know that. Well, I, yeah. right. mm, but they, but really didn't. Have, they didn't I'm know that. Right. You know, but see, but and you know, one one of your many gifts, when you're able to translate, I'm sure everybody followed what you just said. But see, people, people are people are intimidated, wouldn't you say, about monetary policies? Oh, I don't understand them. No, 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 slow down. So man, like you said, this is curated. This is invented. A lot of this stuff is just about perception, right? Yeah, so have the jobs go up in December, and we have we have, uh, wait a minute. They need on a you know like so they don't know what to do. Like this this country is is on the verge of something, and it's not so. Good. Let me ask let me ask you this then. Given what you just said, what happens when? Because there is no speaker of the house. He's basically like the British parliamentary speaker. You got to do what we say. When they don't raise the debt ceiling, Professor Hunter, what impact would that have on monetary policy and United States credit? Man, buckle up. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm. What is? <laughs> well, seriously, seriously, what does that mean? United States credit goes in the garbage can because these white nasties got a speaker that they they made one of the guarantees was I ain't gonna do nothing y'all don't say. What what would happen if they don't raise the debt ceiling in the fall? It's it's it, yeah, it's it's going to be really bad, and uh, and America is going to default on something. I mean, it's just and we, and who's going to suffer? Is it going to be the billionaires? Oh no, they're they're aren't they prepared? They prepared for this, which is why they they're the ones you know fomenting this because they want to hold on to because they're greedy as f, you know. And I'm saying to myself, all these billion dollar companies laying folk off, right? I just right. So, you know. Um, who just laid Amazon, you know, and yes, they have thousands and thousands of workers. They just laid off 18,000 people. Apple's laid off people. Everyone's laying off people. Series XM's like, we hiring freeze, everything. I'm just like, oh, look, look, come Macy's, on, y'all. Macy's just announced they're going to close some more. They trying to, they trying to read, of course, Bed Bath & Bike. Now, I don't know. Stock well, Bed Bath & Beyond has been on life support for a while. So that's not, to me, that wasn't a surprise. Them Sears and all that, because, you know, folks shop online at Amazon, you know, yeah. you know, get everything you know it's set up that way so that you only have two or three places you can go that also is a setup that said you know um we we will feel the pain the people we will feel the pain and the billionaires are setting it up so that they you know protect their interests that's right uh, no longer do we have uh companies led by people like ford who was a complicated person but understood i need to be able to have a company that the people who are working on these cars can afford the cars so and let's you know let me give them a salary and let me give them you know like that, that doesn't exist and a true anti-semite although he has some black friends like george washington carver which is why the, the scholars argue that he called his factories plants in part as a gesture toward his friend george carver but that that notwithstanding what you just said is critical he's like you know what good is it mean to make these cars and the people who are making them can't afford to buy them this is manufacturing it's it's really quite simple when you think about it, huh <laughs> it is so so um you know you've often said people will vote their uh you know they will vote their whiteness over their teeth or their health care whatever we're, we're in a place right now where it just doesn't make any sense it's so insane that's right. But by any means necessary <laughs> for right. them. Um, right. did well, you some of them, some of them. I think you won't, it'll be interesting, won't it? Just like I said, in, if the 1850s, we saw these multi-parties that eventually resolved themselves into Democrat and Republican. Do you think we saw in the last three days a, a glint, a glimmer? Because there are Republicans in the federal legislature who are not white nationalists. Right. 
but they have ridden the whiteness. People putting this on Trump. No, Trump's a symptom. This is something y'all been playing with this dynamite for 100 years. And now they don't think they can win elections anymore without appeals to white nationalists. Do you think we saw a hint of a fracture? It won't be a new party necessarily, but do you think there are some Republicans sitting there thinking, I can't, okay, we, we should, first of all, we should have nipped this shit in the bud two years ago. McCarthy Thanks. missed the point. You could have purged this. I mean, but then, of course, we would have lost some elections, and so we weren't willing to do that. Now you've got the wolf by the ears, as Thomas Jefferson said on the slavery question. Do you think there might be some Republicans? And do you think we might see something that would surprise those who are not paying attention if some of these Republicans, because that debt ceiling is so important, say, F, I'm going with the Democrats? Yeah, I think we will. Um, I had a conversation this week with Michael Steele on his podcast, which was interesting. Yes, you know, yes. so, you know and, and people were putting him up as the same token as Donald's. Michael Steele's not Donald's. Michael Steele is, is a person that actually... Now he, I've been enjoying watching him because he tried to tell these white boys 20 years ago and they slapped him around so bad and he's been, he been taking a victory lap this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they had an autopsy. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think there are people that... I mean, there are black people that, that hold true to Republican, true Republican values mm -hmm. that can't be in line with this, you know? And, and it's... And they're Democrats, not because they want to be Democrats, but because they can't uh, deal with this. That's. Did you see that? Straight up, and he's looking. At, look, look at his eyes. He's looking at that hand. He's making sure the hand is in there. He ain't looking at the camera. What? What is that, Doctor Carr? Well, what you know what that is. That's the white supremacist. And by the way, I'm sorry. I know the Noop's birthday was yesterday, a day before yesterday. Cap Alpha Psi. That is not the Kappa sign. That is the white supremacy sign. The global, the Steve Bannon white supremacy sign. Talk about 300 guns getting brought into legislation in 1856 when they was trying to pick a speaker. You heard Marjorie Taylor Greene talking with Steve Bannon, talking about, see, if we, if me and Matt Gates had had that insurrection, we'd have, we'd have had the guns. We would have won. What the hell? I mean, so this boy right here, George Santos, they got another recruit. And last night when they swore him in, y'all go back and look. When McCarthy was reading the oath, he was standing next to Matt Gates. He's in now. He ain't no pariah. Yeah. And he ain't going nowhere, even with all, all of that baggage. They will take your baggity, raggedy ass as long as you're <laughs> going to do what they say and be as the, you know, it's, this is what we're up against. And it, it absolutely makes no sense. And it makes all the sense in the world. And when you put it in historical perspective and not that you can necessarily, as you say, history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. So what's the rhythm of this? And what's our responsibility in this, right? So, like, we're not victims. I'm not going to sit back and just, you go ahead and put your white power symbol up if you want to. You're going to F around and find out if you if you come in in this space, right? But we got to be ready to make sure that there's an F, there's a find out component to the F around. That's you know, all. I'm, I'm working on the find out component. I don't know what y'all working on. I'm working on the find come out. Come on. You know what? I can't believe you are conjuring pure ancestors today because... First of all, and I know we're going to talk, mention her and, and, and weave her. Let's, let's just introduce her right now. You know, in terms of politics, that question of Republican value, self-determination, self-sufficiency, you know, it's kind of the thing that they claim and have really morphed from. I was rereading my man, Michael Fontroy's book, Republicans and the Black Vote. There are a number of books on Black people in the Republican Party, but Mike makes that point. In the 20th century, you see the Republicans get away from that. They try to push it. But anyway... Um, you know, it would have been nothing in the 1940s or 50s for Zora Neale Hurston to be a Republican. Because again, one of the things that she would say over and over again, and this is just taken from 
African ways of knowing in, in, in the United States. Every tub must sit on its own bottom. That's a very deep, culturally kind of grounded perspective that is very familiar to people of African descent. You got there and work by the sweat of your brow. And so if you're, and this is what, in some ways, Michael Stillman, Mike Steele came to Howard. I hadn't been there long. He was, he was, he's over the RNC at the time. And of course, you know, we was, we was going to slap him around a little bit and he got, he got tightened up a little bit, but at the same time, there are certain things that nobody can dispute. So when you hear Byron Donalds of Florida, when you hear Tim Scott of South Carolina talk about, I was raised in a household where you had to work and you had to have discipline. And I think we should have prayer in the schools and whippings is okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, there are a lot of black people say, yeah, you know, I'm for Democrats when it comes to health care. I mean, but I don't believe in killing no babies. Okay, well, but do you believe that you should tell somebody else what to do? Well, it depends on whether I'm a primitive foot washing Baptist or AME. In other words, if you want to enter, see, there's a difference for uh, many times in terms of our politics between what we want for ourselves and our families and our communities and what we are willing to try to impose on other people. And there's this curious kind of alloy of live and let live in African communities, some of it as a result of the traumas we've been through. So we don't want to impose on other people and the values that say, I wouldn't do that myself. Gay marriage, abortion. These are in our governance conversations, very complicated conversations. And we have to be very mindful, but there's also a sense of tolerance in Africana communities as well. That's co-mingled in there. Everybody's not the same, but I'm saying what you're raising, Prof, is very important. And while you have a Michael Steele, who in some ways is an echo strong or faint, depending on the issue of an Ed Brooke or a Jackie Robinson before the betrayal of Nixon and others. I mean, you know, perhaps a Zora Hurston in them. You know, Zora Hurston was like, you know, I'm not for Brown versus Board of Education. I think this is a mistake. We just need to strengthen our institutions because she came out of all black town, Edenville, Florida. I mean, it's a complicated conversation, but this Republican Party we're dealing with now, ain't none of that relevant. That's why I ask you, for those who may have some of those things in that party, and Byron Donald, I'm looking at him with every vote after they brought him up there as a hand puppet, and then he went to switch to McCarthy. By last night, you know, he was like, McCarthy, faded back. You tired, bro? You tired of being used? You, you okay? You all right, bro? No, you you, you, you going to get an assignment? You going to get an assignment? You going to really get the shine because this was the easy part. Picking the speaker was the easy part. The rules going to be harder than the speaker. The debt ceiling will be harder than the rules. There will be no governance from the House of Representatives over the next two years. What there will be, however, is a commercial for what you should do in the elections of 2024. And so perhaps we saw a preview of that fracture over the last few days. They will probably, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I started to say that some of them will probably switch, go you know, go across the aisle and maybe not vote for all those rules. But if they do that, that's nuclear option. Kevin McCarthy is not speaker anymore. Um, some of them will probably vote to raise the debt ceiling. But if they do, Kevin McCarthy is not speaker anymore. If that rule, the only one person, you know, you only need one person. We don't know. Hakeem Jeffries might be the speaker before 2024. I expect if this thing can, and here's where I kind of, as we kind of wind to, to kind of sum and think about this, guided by the question you raised at the beginning, the question you raised at the beginning, 
what relationships, what influences do we, can we have on the polities we live in? What are our goals and objectives and how can we best achieve them? Why should we be paying attention? All this is very important. It didn't just gossiping because the people who are going to be harmed first are the least of these. And so, you know, I guess what I'm saying is that if we get engaged, more engaged, because voter turnout was lower in Georgia in the special election that saw Senator Warnock return to the federal legislature for a few term for, for a uh, full term. It was lower. It isn't that, you know, the, the, the Republicans, they brought this up over and over again this week. They had over 3 million more votes total in the midterm elections than the Democrats did. And they only got a couple of seats over. So in 2024, if people continue to pay attention, and that's a long time, it's an eternity in some way. If Hakeem Jeffries is Speaker of the House in 2024, what I was watching this week, Prof, I'm going to be interested in, in hearing what you think about this. I suspect that we were watching an audition for the presidential primaries of 2028. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries ain't going to just be in the federal legislature. And he ain't going to be just United States Senator. You know, Chuck Schumer. No, I'm looking at this cat like, yeah, this is 28 right here. Oh, the way he carried himself, the way he played it pitch perfect. The yes. way he oh, listen, I wouldn't be mad at that because he's New York. Oh, no, he got it. See, that's the thing. Unlike Barack Obama, whose affect was always a little inauthentic. It was it was Harry Lennox. It was definitely, yeah, well, Harry Lennox more authentic than Barack. No, it was <laughs> Harry Lennox. Oh, you're saying he, oh, he rests right He was yeah. Harry Lennox. My God. Boy. <laughs> Harry, look, look, look. Was it Harry Lennox or the more? It was Harry Lennox. <laughs> he morphed into Barack Obama. He ripped off Harry Lennox, huh? Yeah. Mm. But yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Congressman Jeffries comes by that honest. Now, again, you don't get where Hakeem Jeffries is without being 180 proof safe. So he ain't no rah-rah hero. I'm sorry. He ain't no rah-rah hero. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I mean, this is all, but but he is who he is. Wait a minute though, wait a minute though. <laughs> unlike, unlike anybody else, you know, and being in, in this space, you know, uh, haven't been in, in New York on the on the journalism journalism side and knowing Leonard Jeffries and, you know, that family, you know, that family better than I do. Well, and by the way, prayers to uh, Dr. J. He had a procedure uh, last week. He's uh, resting comfortably. Him and uh, Mama Rosalind, very important figures, towering figures. And I'm just trying to figure out why they ain't try to hang. Leonard Jeffries and Rosalind Jeffries over, and that means to that tells me that you have passed every test that they can give you, or they're waiting. I can't figure it out, Prof. <laughs> I think, mm, we're at a point now, and I'm not saying that you know you're wrong or right or whatever. The office I don't know. I don't know. I'm telling you, I don't know. And I'm the office of the presidency is is what it is, right? It's it's not a transformative office to begin with, right? It's the 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 chief of the military, and it is you know the uh the person that can sign in, you know, executive orders. It's, you know, it's not king. It's not king. It's no, it's, it's more sta it's, it's, it's more statesman. It's the representative of America. Good point. Whatever she is, right? So 
I think, you know, of all of the people, any of the people, and I'm not even talking about whether he's black or not, but mm -hmm. his, his grounding sensibilities, um, I really do, when the people got up to talk about that he cares about people, I really do think he cares about people. I don't think he's, he's, I don't feel, I don't feel like he, cause he's, he had opportunities to be, to show himself to be a political animal for the last 20 years. Absolutely. You know what that looks like. Absolutely. I mean, and, he, and he's made some decisions that made it clear to them that he wasn't going to, for example, I mean, you know, okay, go back to Gates and, and Bobert and them. One of the things that they uh, apparently extracted from Kevin McCarthy was that McCarthy will not use his PAC and connections to run against their white nationalist candidates. Now, when you look on the other side, Hakeem Jeffries got no problem going after progressive candidates. That's a problem. You know what I'm saying? Stay out of these races. Lee, look, Chantel Brown got sworn back in. But you interfering out there, you and Jim Clyburn and run out of Ohio interfering with Nina, you know, that, that pisses me. I mean, look, man, just stay out of it. I mean, you can pick who you want, but they, but Hakeem Jeffries has sworn fealty. I will protect this party. And part of what the white nationalists are doing, what Gates and them are saying is, this two-party system y'all got where we all got to stay in line and nobody gets to read the bill. And then we one of the things they extracted was everybody gets the X number of time to read the bill. So some of the people on the other side are like, yeah, I want that too. Why? Because when Pelosi do this, we come out and vote. I can't say nothing. I mean, you can push a system until you break it. And I guess what I'm saying, some, one of the unintended consequences here might be, because I can tell you, I mean, I know Summer, this is not going, I mean, at some point, Hakeem gonna have some problems. You gonna, I mean, it sounds good. We all moved it, but this whole notion of stand up and salute, I don't know that man that Frost is I, I don't I don't know that he would, you know, Nina Nina had her own uh issues. I, I don't think it was oh, 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 about oh. being in a progressive as it was, you know, there, there was more to that race, it wasn't just progressive. Of course. Uh, okay. So, so you know, and I'm as I'm looking at AOC, Summer Lee, uh, even Corey Bush, I don't think there's gonna be much of a problem. I don't think that, that uh, Hakeem Jeffries wants to keep them in line because we need them. We need all of the, the, I agree. the people who are putting, who are actually rolling their sleeves and working. Let's just say that. I'm not saying AOC is that. I'm saying Corey Bush is that. Uh, I'm saying Summer Lee is that. I'm saying Yana yeah. Presley is that. I'm saying yeah. that, you know, um, there Lauren people, Underwood, you see how Lauren, Lauren fact, Underwood, yes. When they escorted uh, McCarthy out to bring him back in as speaker, it was very interesting to see who they named to go out in the chamber. Lauren Underwood was one of those people. You can see how they positioned her to, to me. She's kind of like Johanna Hayes almost in some ways. Lucy McBath, maybe a little bit. But yeah, you can see these sisters moving through the leadership ranks. Yeah. Because the Democrats are not the Republicans, you know. They are not the Republicans, no and question. And district to district, there are different needs, and people are coming into Congress with, you know, fighting for their folk, unlike the Republicans who are fighting to stay in power and fighting for their whiteness. These folk are actually fighting. So, so it's a different leadership position for him to wrangle folk, and it's more personality-driven. And the fact that those 212 never broke ranks told me everything, because they don't agree. But they understood one thing, and and this is what I'm saying about black people. So for me, it was a lesson in what's possible because we ain't got to all agree on anything, but we got to get in line when it comes to the thing that matters to all of us, Absolutely. which is our freedom. 
And if we can't do that, then it's, you know, and they showed it as possible that those folks don't agree on a whole lot because the Democrats are more fractured than the Republicans if people want to really have a conversation. But they all 212 got together and they never broke for 15 damn rounds, never broke. And that (laughs) said a lot, you know. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the Democratic Party looks more like the people in the country. And so, you know, we all don't agree on it. And you're right. And that's a very important point you raise in Prop because Policy-wise, sure, they're going to be disagreements. But when uh, Rep. Jaropal, uh said, y'all always talking about Dems in disarray, this is Republicans in ruin. It's like, yeah, you're, you're right. That, that is no small feat for them to come together like that and to stay together. Um, had they won a few more seats and had it been a razor-thin Democratic majority, I think we both know, we all know that there would not have been this type of hostage-holding uh, exercise that the progressive caucus wouldn't have done it the squad wouldn't have done it you're absolutely right um and that's why i'm glad you're raising this too prof because that's why when we um when we look at how social structure media narrates these things we can't listen to that stuff it's false equivalencies so when they go in and when they attack uh ilhan omar for example these these funky racists you know when they attack these folk in the Democratic Party and say they're not Americans. No, they're not Americans. No. Because if American means white Christian nationalist, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm not an American. In fact, I wouldn't say I'm one anyway because you can't tell me what an American is. I'm here now though and we gaining on you and guess what? You can't stop the rain. So when you start thinking about coalition politics, we have this couple of things I just want to mention right quick. Um, we have to understand that, well, a couple of things, and, and this is one of the things I love about the fact that as we go into uh, Monday night, we'll finish up with, um, well, we, we're now transitioning uh, Monday night in our Introduction to African States class and office hours on Monday nights in Nubia. We are now moving to part two of our course. Part one was the conceptual categories. And now as we go into part two, we're perfectly positioned to to continue this. We're going to revisit many of these topics as we go through part two, because remember, part one was the conceptual categories, each of them moment by moment. Social structure, governance structure, ways of knowing, um, movement and memory, cultural meaning making. Now, part two, we now will apply those categories through time and space, beginning with the origins of humanity, taking it down through the current moment. And so we're going to revisit a lot of this stuff in the context of those categories. But one of the things that we frame well is we now those conceptual categories are sufficiently distinctive to share to us to share our collective study, dialogue, informed action, all that. And as you're talking, Prof, it is a powerful reminder of why we have to study, why we have to at least have a basic grasp of history because as you say it doesn't uh repeat itself but it rhymes and there are echoes every time you heard people say this past week this has happened in 100 years okay the first question we should ask ourselves in the african states framework is while it hasn't happened in this social structure in 100 years 100 years ago in 1923 governance who are we to each other what was going on we didn't have anybody in the federal legislature. Remember, George White was the last one in the federal legislature in 1900, 1901. And you had to wait then before the Chicago contingent comes back in. 
And that didn't happen with Mitchell and then, you know, Oscar the Priest. That's the 30s. There ain't no black people in the federal legislature in 1923. And the dire anti-lynching bill is dying. Black people getting killed. It's after World War One. Uh, black people come back. The Red Summer, 1919. Four years later, you had this election. Oh, yeah, I'm had a speaker fight. What was going on in the United States and what was going on in the world in 1923? So the question we have to ask isn't a cosplay pundit conversation that obscures history by whitening it and making it into some fantasy we have to say what does our study teach us black men black women could not vote so well, they had the 19th amendment by then yeah oh did that really change the condition of black women no they just put black women in the same condition as black men and it took the civil rights act and the voting rights act to do something about it in the south and there were some black women and men who could vote in the north and if you were in the south maybe if you registered as republican you could vote but the point is it's a different set of circumstances and before that was 1856 okay now let's talk now let's talk i had a conversation earlier this week with um kermit roosevelt interesting guy professor at um, University of Pennsylvania. Actually, uh, his research and teaching assistant, one of my former students, uh, brilliant young sister, Layla June West, Dr. Beatty and I, and Dr. Watkins, she's our student. Uh, she's at Penn Law School now, finishing up there. She's one of Kermit Washington, Kermit Roosevelt's. I told you all this book last week, The Nation That Never Was, Reconstructing America's Story. What Professor Roosevelt writes here, and he's echoing in many ways things that have been written by Lerone Bennett, Vincent Harding, so many others, but he kind of extends it and puts the legal gloss on it, even though it's written for a broader audience. He says, what you have in the United States is a battle between the, the, the founders' constitution and the Declaration of Independence, the one they keep like trying to talk about. And even last night, uh, somebody mentioned George Washington. George Washington was in these halls. And I'm looking at the Black Congress people like, will somebody please at least make a face like something stinking here? <laughs> you should have been trying to kill George Washington. Anyway, the difference that Professor Roosevelt says between the, the framers' constitution, the founders' constitution, which is about individualism and liberty and all that stuff, and the reconstruction constitution. He says we live in the we live in a society that is really was really started in the 1850s and 60s. The Civil War, Reconstruction, decade leading up to the Civil War, the Civil War and Reconstruction. 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments makes it a different country. And so that is what enables the possibility not for us to become Americans and salute and the flag and the lapel pins out of BS and oaths. No. How do we live our full humanity in a society and tamp down those elements that would prefer their selfish, individualistic, uh, racist, classist, sexist attitudes and policies over a collective formation that isn't, by the way, just the United States. Because remember, the Republican Party in the 1850s is a party that's founded out of business interests, many of them anti-slavery because they see slavery as bad for business, competition, this kind of thing, wages, however you want to put it. They want to break the back of the slave power. They don't want it to expand, many of them, not all of them, but many of them. And then they have morphed now, because remember, for years, the whole thing with the Republican Party was free trade. Now you're talking about tariffs. The nativism has reappeared. Now it's the U.S. versus the world. We got to bring, slow down. Can you say that again? It's the U.S. versus the world. Okay. Now, where are you? Oh, I'm in my congressional office in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Where am I? Or oh, you're in the CNN uh, uh, studios. You're in the Fox studios in New York. Mm -hmm. And how are we communicating? Well, we're communicating. On, okay. 
all these metals and all this stuff put together was made in America with American stuff that was mined in America? Head explode. Why? Fool, you don't live only in the United States of America. It's all interconnected. The nativism of the white nationalist party now is going to kill the many of the, 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 the it's not, well, I won't say kill, it's certainly going to erode the quality of life and possibilities for many people, not those rich people, but the poor people who go out and vote. We have to begin to think about that in that context. When Roosevelt says that the Reconstruction Constitution, it's a war between the Reconstruction Constitution and the uh, Founders Constitution, he starts talking about the courts. He was also, um, Professor Roosevelt was also on the commission that Biden put together to uh, look at reimagining and recommending what can be done with the federal courts. And so, you know, can you have term limits in the federal courts, including the Supreme Court, retirement age, perhaps? Uh, could you have a situation where you decentralize the Supreme Court, you expand the court, have as many, at least as many people on the federal, uh, on the Supreme Court as there are judicial courts of appeal? Do you, I mean, can you, it's very interesting some of the things they propose. Now, who's going to be against that? The white nationalists. Why? Because they have minority rule right now. And we gain it on them. So what we saw this last three days, it's very interesting, isn't it? How many times, Prof, do you remember, did we hear, and everybody who's you know watching in, in the conversation, how many times did y'all hear these Republicans bring up, we have 90%, they got 10%, this minority rule, the charity of minority. That's how y'all win elections. Oh, you only like white nationalism when it ain't white on white crime. Because see, this is how y'all win. It's the electoral college. It was so fascinating to watch them complain about being held hostage by a minority. Really? That's what has begun happening. Not in 1856. And then that's what sent me back to W.E.B. Du Bois. Go to chapter three of Black Reconstruction in America, the white worker, where he walks through. In fact, let me just... Uh, I won't. I just I just want to mention this. Um, he says in the white worker, that says chapter. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The white worker is chapter two. He, that's where he gets into the international politics of the 1850s. But chapter three is the planter. He says how seven percent of a section within a nation ruled five million white people and owned four million black people and sought to make agriculture equal to industry through the rule of property without yielding political power or education to labor. This is what happens. The tyranny of the minority isn't about protecting rights for these people. The tyranny of the minority that they want is the right to tell everybody else what to do. But when they got applied to them, what really got applied to them the last three days was the hard white core that has been the engine of their ability to keep this criminal enterprise going in the way that it has been going in this slide over the last 50 years as a response to the human rights movement we call the civil rights movement, which was an international movement, by the way, with local implications. It's another thing they hated. But the point I'm trying to make is that it is on the verge of fracture now. And all it's going to take to be renegotiated is for us to participate in our own interests not continue to kind of go along to get along because there are many things there are many things that the federal legislature could have passed with just a few more votes 
the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Guess who voted against it? Byron Donalds. You voted against it. Why you vote against it? Because you a stand up, tap dance. Would you ever see yes a boss? I'm not, uh, you know, until you get stopped by the damn police. Then you want to cuss somebody out. And then when you laying on the ground with your face in the concrete cussing and everybody filming it, then what? Is it going to be enough to change your uh, opinion? No, there wasn't enough for Tim Scott because he wrote a book with Confederate Gumby. What is his name? Um. Anyway, uh, I see he did the Benghazi. Now he's not in Congress anymore. Trey Gowdy about being stopped by the police and it still wasn't enough for him. He just want to have dialogue. But I want to mention one other book before we, we kind of wind it up today. Um, this is a brand new book that just came out. Jacob uh, Grumbach. It's called Laboratories Against Democracy. How National Parties Transform State Politics. It's very interesting. He's a professor at the University of Washington. His basic argument is, going back to this question of political parties, is that the two parties in this country have become, he says, nationally coordinated political teams. We know that. But they operate as national kind of conceptual formations that apply pressure and shape policy at the state level. And that's federalism. That's what we learned is federalism. But here's where it changes. This is what the White Nationalist Party has done. Having weaponized these national identities, I'm proud to be in America where at least I know I'm free. Yeah, all that hillbilly talk, except you in upstate New York. You in New York sending George Santos to Congress. You in Ohio voting against your interests, but you got a bridge and Mitch McConnell and, 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 and Mike uh, DeWine and all of them was out there with Sherrod Brown and Joe Biden out there uh, while there was this debacle was going on. Y'all want to, y'all want to thank God y'all got this bridge finally crumbling bridge between Kentucky and Ohio. And I know exactly where that is. Having driven home from Columbus, Ohio to Nashville, Tennessee many times in, during law school and grad school, but you want to shrink the government. Why is that? Because these national brands operating at the state and local level are allowing these folks through gentrification, voter suppression, to send to the federal legislature people who are basically singing onward Christian soldiers, white Klan, nationalist Christian soldiers, to destroy the government. And what Grumbach is arguing is this isn't just gridlock. This could make the system collapse. Now, what Roosevelt is arguing, among other things, is that if you want to have a different society, in fact, he says at the beginning of the book, he quotes uh, Langston Hughes, let America be America again. But at the end of the book, he says, I would just make one little change. Let America be because it never was and not let America be America again. If it's going to be something different, it's going to have to be something completely different. And in fact, let me end with this. I want to mention because, uh, again, I'm thinking 1856. This guy who becomes a speaker is elected speaker. And I think about it and I'm like, let me check something because that name is not unfamiliar to me. And sure enough, here he is. I found him in a book on General Oliver Howard. Yeah, that's the guy Howard University is named for. Yankee stepfather, the white man, Freedmen's Bureau. Check this out. Check this out. This is the Civil War. This is 1864. The army commanders were perplexed by the freedmen because by 1864, this, the South is being beaten back. Black men are now in uniform. 
some places like Port Royal, South Carolina, uh, uh, Davis Bend, Mississippi, parts of Louisiana have been freed for a long time. African people have freed themselves, as Du Bois writes about. And so they all commingled in these army camps. Remember Will Smith in Emancipation, right? The army commanders were perplexed by the freedmen. White conservatives who complained that the Negroes were favored under General Benjamin F. Butler, who was assigned to Texas and Louisiana, were troubled less by more moderate general from California, from Massachusetts. I'm sorry, were troubled less by a more moderate general from Massachusetts, Nathaniel Banks, who replaced him. I thought Banks was a congressman. He was. But then the Civil War jumped off and Banks became a general in the Civil War. A lot of these cats who were in the federal legislature, people are going to West Point like General Howard, Clinton B. Fisk, Fisk University. Shout out to the Fisk University gymnast. Did y'all see them young girls doing that? Look, this is what I'm talking about. Y'all talking about Coach Prime. Go check these sisters out. Did you see that prop? The uh, the young sister did the vault and got like a 9.9 on her first try. I'm saying, see? See, this is what I'm talking about. Anyway, these cats went to West Point and then they chose up sides. Robert E. Lee, West Point. They chose up sides and they met each other on the battlefield. Banks left the legislature, became a general in the Union Army. Says by decree, Banks established a sound school system which flourished when the Freedmen's Bureau was created. So Nathaniel Banks, that speaker, went on to help establish schools in Louisiana for black people before the Freedmen's Bureau. I'm saying, how y'all miss all this? I know y'all got some, and they got staffs. Who we got? It's you, me, Reyes, Carl, Ahmad, some interns, and everybody else. Meanwhile, you paying people at CNN. Somebody need to be fired. Anyway. Also during the Banks administration, the Negroes got an important start in politics. Negro leaders asked for the vote, first for the freeborn and later for the freedmen. Lincoln had recommended limited suffrage when Louisianans met in Constitutional Commission in 1864. It was not granted, but the legislature was empowered to consider it an action that the freedmen and their radical supporters, including Thomas Conway, took as an invitation to keep the subject very much alive. The Tribune criticized Conway severely for not having forced Banks, same Banks, former Congressman Speaker of the House, now General, and to act in 1864 when an edict of Negro suffrage by the Army could have achieved what was so agonizingly sought in 1865. But watch this. I'm in with this from Yankee Stepfather. In addition to starting schools and taking an ambiguous stance on suffrage because Banks didn't push the vote, General Banks, faced with genuine problems of mass destitution, initiated a system of forced labor. We haven't had a, 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 the longest one was 1856 when they went to 117 ballots. I mean, okay, who was the guy? Uh, Banks, Banks. Okay, who is Banks? Uh, let's find out who Banks is. General fighting in the Civil War, got black people under his command, also black people who are victims of enslavement fighting back. And now they got to figure out their way between slavery and freedom. And what does Banks do in Louisiana? this former Speaker of the House. It says, General Banks, faced with genuine problems of mass destitution, initiated a system of forced labor, which anticipated the worst aspects of the Black Codes, including the vagrancy principle of discipline, which Mayor Kennedy adopted and Conway protested. Louisiana, which was the best prepared state, which was ripe for the most thorough reform, reaped the worst system of Negro labor devised in the conquered states. Negroes who had neither homes nor jobs were sent to plantations where they worked for fixed wages, experienced slave days discipline, 
and were denied the option of leaving their jobs until the crops were in. That's General Banks, former Speaker of the House Banks, Joe Scarborough, and all the rest of you people who are his children. We should not have an investment in this criminal enterprise that is not informed by what has happened to us every time we have bought in without knowing what we were doing. The reason we study the past is to understand the echoes. So what we are seeing now is a war within whiteness in federal politics. What should we be doing? Identifying how we can use that to our advantage. Because guess what? Every time it's to our advantage, it's also to the advantage of everybody else. We should never forget that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's true, right? Every time, every time we want something, we don't never just want it for us. <laughs> you know, that's what you know, problem. This is what bothers me, right? Looking at those people in there, and you'll see when you play Hakeem's speech, everything he talked about benefits everybody. How can y'all be against this? How are you a woman in that legislature, in that Republican side, trashing these people when every policy being advocated? impacts you child care all them children in there that was up past midnight you got child care what about the millions who don't you are some of the most cruel people <laughs> anyway just... well i mean if you know somebody said what's wrong with white men somebody tweeted that and i said mm. well, i said 400 years of unchecked uh power and prowess without ever having to work on your humanity so, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but we're seeing it, right? Because to be in alignment with these policies means you absolutely have no humanity at all. I'm watching Gangs of London, the most violent show I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so violent. Peaky Blinders? No, it's more violent than Peaky Blinders. Really? I didn't think it was possible. But I was oh, like, no, this show, it opens with a scene where a guy is holding the guy over, over a building on a rope, pours gasoline down the rope, sets the rope on fire. The man is on fire. The rope breaks and he falls like hundreds of feet to, I mean, I'm like, this is the most violent, this is the opening scene of, of Gangs of London. But I know that that level of inhumanity is fostered and fomented and, and, and it grows because if nobody ever holds you accountable, which is what we also seeing. We watched January 6th and just a handful, the black man, I think one of the, the people that got the lar- longest sentence was the black man that swung on a cop. Not the person that actually killed the cop. Right. They didn't get the five years. Right. So or the president of the United States. Or the president of the United States. That, or, or, or Jenny Thomas, who was Jenny Thomas. out of the January 6th report. Who funded it. By her friend. By her friend, Cheney. Cheney, so- so if you if you don't get held accountable and you just get to get away with all of the stuff and there's expectation that you get, that that is your right that's your birthright so right. all of these policies that y'all are talking about to help other people we don't care about other people we just care about ourselves and this is a this is stopping us from being as powerful and on top as that's we right. want to be so I I, I right. get it and but it, and it is interesting because as you say that I'm thinking again about what you what we were saying earlier. This is how we end up with this past week. What you just said, you didn't nip it in the bud and it isn't enough. Demographics is not destiny because what's the, uh, what's the woman's name? Uh, well, she changed her name. Uh, she got a three name. Now they want to make her the, 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 uh, the white nationalist AOC Luna. 
The oh, swim team. Oh, I'm, I'm paying zero attention to them. No, she, she's, a, she's a military veteran, former swimsuit model, and she worked for Charlie Kirk. But while she she's in the Congress now, she got up and nominated somebody at one point. And I'm only raising that to say that she's Latina. That's why I mentioned that. Uh, I think Mexican, Mexican-American, first Mexican-American elected Republican out of Florida. So I'm saying all that to say that it isn't enough. Don't assume because of how somebody looks that their politics aligns with this notion of our common humanity. We've got to be smarter than that now. This isn't the 1850s when Henry Garnett, who became the first black person to pray on the Florida United States Senate, who also was a Civil War veteran, who in the 1850s was writing all that stuff, whose birthday was last week. This isn't that time when you could look at a black person and say, okay, you black, so we kind of know what your politics are. We're not in that time anymore. And they know it, which is why you're seeing more and more black and non-white people, they're trying to recruit them. Rance Priebus tried to get them together before. Michael Steele tried to get them together before. But we've got some serious thinking to do as right. to how we need because, to- Because this is, is, not, is not a color, that, that symbol. That's right. That, no, this, it's not. This, this is not a color. And he's not white. This, and he's not white. This nope. is this is a power structure. That's and if right. you if you do not understand that, as Come on now. would say you you're gonna be confused by everything else. You know, everything. we're not Just fighting right. we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not fighting melanin and non-melanin. That's we're fighting right. a power structure that will allow for all kind of people to come in to do its bidding. We watch and, this, and, and, and I'm glad you said that too because again, we're looking at Jim Clyburn. We're looking at some of the elders, Maxine Waters. You know, we, we wish them long lives, but politically, they're nearer the end than the beginning of their careers, much closer to the end. But when you see a Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, talking respectfully to Jesse Jackson, please understand that you call them both Americans, but one is a white nationalist and a nativist. She would fit very comfortably with the know-nothings in the 1850s. She would fit very comfortably with the nativists. But, and another, and the other one, has committed his life to America, but not exclusively. Just like we were talking Monday night with Vincent Harding, when he, that metaphor of Vincent Harding and Chancellor Williams used of the river. The river is something that overflows national boundaries. The river is people and ideas and, and spirit and sentiment. And so the, the fact that the two of them are both in the halls of Congress, they're bound by something called citizenship. This is the challenge. We've got to use that citizenship, but we can't use it in service of just a red, white, and blue flag. Because as you said, Marjorie Taylor Greene is like, this. she this. This is not an American symbol. This is a global symbol. Jesse has understood that his whole life, regardless of any arguments or debates we might get into Jesse in terms of his politics, political choices. The fact of the matter is that these people we fighting do not respect the four corners of the country called United States of America. They never have. They've got a global agenda. If we don't have a global agenda that we enact locally, we're going to end up getting caught up in a mess. That's anyway. it. Stop yeah. all of that. Stop all of that. All right. We have like five. Can we drop a break yeah, from our sister who was born on this day, Zora Neale Hurston, born on this day, one of my sheroes who uh, not just their eyes were watching God, but all of the work that she did to do the thing to, to preserve our um vocal memories, our, our, our language memories, um, just, uh, and, and they'll teach you, you know, I just had son Michelle on again, the, uh, yes. Harvard, Harvard professor who's, who's teaching the Geechee Gullah language, yes. but he also said, I'm not giving away the sauce. I'm giving them the, the basics, but they're not getting the, you know, the <laughs> yeah, for, real, for real, you know, you can't, you can't get that by mouth. That's got to be done in the culture. That's right. 
Yeah, I loved him for saying that because I was like, you giving away. He was like, no, can't do you know, it. Giving you, you know, we're we going to introduce you to it. But you, the real real is what we, we live every day. Give us a breadcrumb for those who are not familiar with Zora Neale Hurston at all. Well, I mean, you know, that's definitely Shiro. And shout out to your sister, our sister Tracy Sherrod. Remember when, when, when she when they dropped, you don't know us Negroes. I think you probably had one of the first copies you shared with us. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's definitely your ancestor. And so many of us, I mean, we identify, of course, with um, with uh, Eatonville, Florida, the black town where she was raised. But uh, she's actually born in Alabama. So, uh, you know, she's in Alabama by uh, not a soga, Alabama. Uh, John Hurston, her daddy, uh, was a carpenter like Jesus and a preacher like Jesus. <laughs> and Lucy Potts Hurston, who uh, taught school uh, for a stretch. So very important to understand. She spent some time early in her life uh, um, in Baltimore, Morgan Academy. Shout out to the Morgan State Bears. Uh, we know is the Morgan Academy is the foundation for that. Went to Howard University, was the founder of one of the founders of the Hilltop student newspaper that, that continues to this day. One of the young sisters and brothers who said, look, I'm as Jesus singing and gospel hymns singing as anybody, but I ain't going to chapel just because you want me to go. So they rebelled against mandatory chapel back then in the 1920s. Raymond Walters, uh, who wrote a book called The New Negro on Campus, writes about that student protest and that rebellion in the 1920s at Fisk and at, and at Tuskegee and at, at, at Howard and other places. Again, my friend uh, um, Matthew Jones, who just wrote the book on the Tuskegee student movement, um, Brian Jones, I'm thinking of Matthew Jones, Snick Singers. Brian Jones, I encourage y'all to look at it. Um, Zora Hurston, an amazing writer. Um, and of course, you know, we think about Zora Hurston. Of course, we talked about her at length. If y'all go to there to go to the archive, y'all see our conversations about Zora, Neil Hurston. But she always had a gift for listening. And as we know, going back to Amadou Hampate Ba and all of the jollies, listening is the foundation because we all have stories to tell we all have narratives and she had a gift for listening and then communicating and representing what she had heard whether it be mules and men to tell my horse whether it be her novels their eyes were watching god uh whether they be her short stories her fiction her non-fiction her essays her letters uh carla kaplan's big volume of letters on zorna hurston we use that when we uh sat with Zora Hurston and Kasula um, Olwe Lewis, um, our brother, who, of course, one of the last Africans brought to the uh, United States on the Clotilda. And we have the gift of Zora Hurston's hearing and telling that story in Barracoon. Shout out, of course, to all of our fam who are Nubians and in the Narrative Nation who are part of that community in Mobile in Africatown. Uh, my sister, Fia Zakia, who's now with the descendant community there, Zora Hurston sat with him. And because she had that African ways of knowing and home training from those governance formations, she bring him peaches, she bring him something to eat, some peanuts, he help him clean up the yard. Some days he want to talk, some days he didn't want to talk. Some days he light his pipe, sit there and be quiet and stare off in the space. And she just sit there with him. Why? Because she had what they call home training. Uh, Zora Hurston, of course, her friend Langston Hughes, they did work together. Sometimes they fell out because, uh, you know, she went to Barnard College. She studied with Columbia with Franz Boas because she was a trained anthropologist. But the training came from the community. Like Carter Woodson said, I was trained by our community. These schools gave me some degrees, but I was trained by my people. Um, 
Zora Hurston, I mean, there's so much we else we could talk about. Um, but I want to end with this. A story that John Henry Clark used to tell about his friend, John Glover Jackson from South Carolina, who was friends with Zora Hurston. And he, uh, John, uh, John Henry Clark said, you know, I'm walking down the street in New York and with John Jackson and Zora Hurston coming toward us. And John Jackson said, here, take my money. It, what just hold it for me because like, here comes Zora and if I got any money she's gonna ask if ask me for it I'm gonna give it to her <laughs> Zora Hurston had that kind of personality and John Jackson told John Clark one time I was with Zora Neale Hurston and we was talking about going out or something and I told her you don't want to go out with me because I'm cantankerous she said he said Zora Neale Hurston put her hands on her chin like this and said he said what are you doing he said go ahead she said go ahead cantank <laughs> I mean, just that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, Zorna Hurston was not going to let you get away with the simple thing. Oh, <laughs> so, anyway, that's the great Zora Hurston. Yes. Mm. Uh, and, and the fact that for maybe 20, 30, 40 years, we forgot her. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I wanted to bring her up because the, the exercise of Nubia narrative, the work that we do every Saturday is for us to remember and never forget the people that came before us because of her works. We know about voodoo. People tried to plagiarize and steal her, her work because of her. We know about Kudju Lewis. We know about Kasula because of her, uh, because of her going into the community, because of her going to Jamaica and Haiti. We, oh. we learned some things, right? We learned some things. And for her to basically die unknown, um, mm. be in obscurity, and to fight so hard for that education that was denied her in so many places, um, to develop into a whole human being, um, we will we will never forget that she was born on this day in the first free black town in America uh, that she grew up in, the first yeah. free black town uh, incorporated, Eatonville, Florida. Yeah, because we had yeah. Fort Mose and we had this dismal yeah. swamp. You know, black folk yeah. gonna make some space. Yeah, we gonna always make a space, but incorporated Incorporate. in America. Yes, yeah, she and, and to this day they have a museum there that I've been to, uh, in Eatonville, Florida. Yeah, I mean it, it could be a lot more. I think it can be a lot more, but they have a festival every year in Eatonville in honor of this woman. Uh, well, you so you working on that? We are gonna claim one day we are gonna just be down there. We are gonna broadcast from there. Absolutely. I know you got us. I know you got us on track, prop. <laughs> look at look. See y'all. See that hair rub. You know what yeah. that means. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Listen. Um, I love you immensely. Love you. I'm. I'm gonna. Uh, let me. Let me do this because I want to share my screen. Let me do this because uh, you know. Let's let's end with this with this speech. Yeah. Let's see what uh, I keep talking about. Look. As far right. as I'm concerned, this is the kickoff of the Democratic primary in uh, 2028. But uh, okay. judge for yourself if you didn't see. It. All right. Well, you know what? Let me let me let me, let me uh, unshare this. Let me stop sharing this. I want to share the other one because it's shorter. Oh, I hope I have it up. I have it up. Okay, hold on. Let me because that that's the the whole speech. I want to just do. And by the way, y'all, twenty three is looking good. Narrative newbie is just building out. We got. I mean, everybody. More and more people are coming. And so Monday night, y'all, we get into part two. And then at next Monday, not this Monday, but next Monday, the Doctor Black will be back from Kenya. Oh, coming, that so. book? Let me tell you, that man could write. Look, I'll tell you, tell you. I'll tell you, I downloaded it into my Kindle, you know, because I'm like, I got to read this. That Daniel Black, Daniel Black is no the whole thing. Okay. Yes, he is. All right, <laughs> and Nubian, so, all right here we go. Right. Yes, ma'am. Love you too. Yes. Compromise. Right, but I also want to make clear that we will never compromise our principles. House Democrats, 
will always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, freedom over fascism, governing over gaslighting, hopefulness over hatred, inclusion over isolation, justice over judicial overreach, knowledge over kangaroo courts, liberty over limitation, maturity over Mar-a-Lago, normalcy over negativity, opportunity over obstruction, people over politics, quality of life issues over QAnon, reason over racism, substance over slander, triumph over tyranny, understanding over ugliness, voting rights over voter suppression, working families over the well-connected, xenial over xenophobia, yes we can over you can't do it, and zealous representation over zero-sum confrontation. We will always do the right thing by the American people.